Matthew chapter 2 this morning. I do hope you'll be here next week. Bring your family and friends. Maybe you've got visitors, um, you know, people who are, are going to be here for the weekend. Uh, we're going to have a great, a great service. A lot of, a lot of carols. Uh, Chad Daggett is going to do a special dramatic reading. We've got the kids doing the nativity play. So I hope you'll be here next Sunday, 10 o'clock, uh, for our Christmas Sunday. Let's talk a little bit about Christmas. We, we saw that humorous video. Some people think it is all about presents, and sometimes even as Christians, we can get kind of uh, down that track of being so stressed out because we feel we have to buy, buy, buy. We have to get this person a gift and that person a gift. And we stress out about, well, what are we going to get them? They don't need anything, so why are we getting them anything? You know what I'm saying? Uh, but the shopping thing has just kind of sometimes consumed us. In fact, I uh, saw this week an annual survey conducted by the American Research Group that this year, the average American consumer will spend about $998 on Christmas, just $2 shy of 1000 and still not feel satisfied and fulfilled. So uh, this last series or this last sermon in the series of Keeping Christ in Christmas, I want to talk about the true biblical meaning of giving, of, of giving gifts. How do you keep Christ in the center of your giving? Because we're all going to give, we're all going to receive, nothing wrong with that, but we don't want to be torn away from the true spirit of giving by materialism, by greed. So how do you and I combat about making it about us <laughs> instead of about Jesus. And so to get a handle on that, I want us to go to the scripture because in all fairness, this whole idea of giving gifts at Christmas begins in the Bible. You can't blame Macy's. You can't blame Hallmark. You can't blame... It actually is very biblical to give gifts at Christmas. There was this group of people that came specifically to give a gift to the newborn Savior. Now, we know them as the wise men. The Bible calls them magi, M-A-G-I. And here's their story from the biography of Jesus uh, in the Bible, written by Matthew. Matthew chapter 2, let's read the first two verses. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, this is probably about two years after, historically, and I know that we have the wise men come at the same time the shepherds, and that's our, you know, typical nativity scene, and nothing wrong with that, but historically it was probably about two years after Jesus was born, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. Now let's stop there for a moment and ask ourselves, who were these magi? 
Now, we've all heard the song about them, We Three Kings of Orient Are, right? You've heard that song. When I was a kid, I always turned to Steve. Steve Shaw was a guy that I hung around with as a kid, and we always said, how come they came from Orient R and not Orient S or Orient T? Or we never could figure the Orient R. We thought it was the letter R. Um, but, you know, the Bible doesn't even say that there were three of them. There's no place in the scripture you'll see there was three wise men or three magi. We don't know. There could have been seven. There could have been 12. There could have been 33 of them. We don't know. Our tradition, we have decided there were three wise men, and the songs have helped us to form that theology, but we really don't know. We do know that they were scholars. These were very intellectual men. They were modern-day astronomers. Not astrologers, but astronomers. They studied the stars. Part of their intellectual pursuit had that they had studied the scriptures and then they compared the prophetic writings of the Old Testament to what was happening in the universe. They were men who were thoroughly immersed in scripture and in astronomy. And through their study of scripture, prophetically they knew there was gonna be a Messiah that was gonna be born. It's all through the Old Testament. It was going to be a king, one who would come and change the course of human history. The one that God had promised, the Messiah. And they had also studied the heavens, the stars, the planets, the orbits. They did that because they knew the scriptures said that this wonderful event, this birth of the Messiah was going to be marked by this tremendous event in the sky. So the reason that they were studying the sky is so they could recognize when the scripture was fulfilled. And to their amazement, it happened in their lifetime. They didn't know what would happen in their lifetime, but it did. And when they saw the star, they left their homelands in search of the wonder and the answers that they would, you know, hope would hold for their life. And this star led them to a child from a poor family lying in a manger. Let's pick up the story in verse 9. After they had heard the king, they went on their way and they saw the star that had rose, and the star went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. I believe because it was a spiritual revelation to them. They were overjoyed. The Messiah had come. Emmanuel, God with us. He has come down. He is going to dwell with us. And the star went ahead of them, and then it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, notice it's not a barn or a stable there. When they came to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. They bowed down and worshipped him. And the very next verse is where gift-giving was introduced to Christmas. 
they opened their treasures and they presented him with the first original Christmas gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Let's dig a little deeper here. Who did they give the Christmas gifts to? Was it one another? Was it their family? No, they gave the first Christmas gifts to Christ. And the first gift and the most important gift that they gave was the gift of worship. Not a material gift. A gift of worship. They bowed down. They worshipped him. That word worship is an Anglo-Saxon word that literally means worth, W-O-R-T-H, worth, hyphen, ship. He was worth their their honor. He He was worth their allegiance. So when we say worship, it means attributing worth, honor, and respect to someone, and that someone is Jesus. That's why worship isn't just about singing songs on Sunday morning. Worship is about the way you react to your neighbor and to that guy that cuts you off at the bridge and all those people at Walmart this time of year that are driving you crazy. How do you respond in those situations? If you want to worship the Lord... (laughs) You respond by allowing his love, his forgiveness, his grace, his mercy to be seen through you. It's bending your not literal knee, although it's okay to bend your literal knee, but it's bending the knee of your heart and saying, Jesus, I want you the center of my life. You see, sometimes we look at that John 3, 16, and we concentrate on what God did. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But it also says that whosoever believes. There's a second part to that verse that requires you and I to take an action. We need to believe. And not just like the demons believe. We need to allow Jesus to be the Lord of our life. We need to bow the knee of our heart and say, Jesus, I'm going to allow you to take the steering wheel of my life. And I'll sit in the back seat. And I might not understand the route you're on. And I might not understand the stops that you make. But I am going to trust you, God. So that's the first important gift that we see in the Bible is that of worship. And notice there were material things, tangible gifts of great value, maybe even sacrificial cost to to the Magi. You know, it's easy to let that slide by, but, you know, we don't necessarily give frankincense. But frankincense, along with myrrh, was used to make incense and perfume. Myrrh was used by the Egyptians during this uh, time to embalm their, their loved ones. It was an important medicine. They used myrrh for sores and, and wounds. And actually, myrrh is still used today in mouthwashes and toothpaste and, and makeup. Gold 
man, that's still one of the prized commodities of any culture. It used to be, not anymore, used to be the foundation of the entire monetary system for the United States. So these things, frankincense and myrrh and gold, they were not small gifts. And they shouldn't have been small gifts. Would have been unthinkable to give the king of the universe, God's only son, anything other than the best. So I want you to understand when I talk about gift giving, I'm not saying we shouldn't do that. I think we should do that, but we should do it with Christ in the center of our giving. The heart of Christmas giving is to give honor to Christ and the giving of our gifts should be in his name. Often we don't honor Christ at Christmas. Often we don't give him anything tangible. We give our loved ones tangible things, our co-workers tangible things, our neighbors tangible things. But in many ways, we've stopped giving anything to Jesus, and we've made it all about giving it to other people. So how do we keep Christ in our Christmas giving? I told you three weeks ago when I started this series, I did it... uh, with the fact that there are many people even in our congregation and watching on live stream that are either new believers or first-generation Christians. And I'm thankful for that. Now, I'm like a third-generation Christian, so I have a heritage. I have been taught traditions. I was surprised how many people, after my first Sunday of teaching about decorations and wreaths and trees and all that, didn't have that knowledge. And so today, I want to kind of address this toward those first-generation Christians, those maybe who weren't raised in a Christian home that did keep Christ in Christmas. Maybe this was never modeled to you, but I want to, I want to throw out some things that I think are important. And the first is you need to teach your children or your grandchildren or your nieces and nephews, or those kids that you have influence with, how to give gifts of Christmas, not just receive. It is so easy for our kids to get involved in this gimme, gimme, gimme. You know, they, they get gifts, they expect gifts, and we just sometimes pour the, the fuel on that fire, and they become selfish, and they become self-centered. So I want to challenge all of us today, let's get our families and ourselves as excited about giving gifts like the Magi than we are about getting gifts. How do you do that? You help them. You not only verbalize it, you help them do that. Maybe with a little extra jobs around the house. My granddaughter was telling me that she had earned some money in the last month by helping rake leaves. Now, we didn't continue that conversation to find out what she was going to do with that money, but I thought, you know, that's a good start. Help your children earn the money so they have vested interest in what they are giving. And then don't worry, friends, 
about, you know, the dollar value of the gift because it's about the heart. So that's why I put on your sermon outline the dollar store. Man, take them to the dollar store. You'd be surprised at how many things you can buy for a dollar, at least for a while, because I understand that even the dollar store is going to be increasing their prices after the first of the year. Pastor Allen told me that's being called the dollar and 25 cent store. Still reasonable. See, some people say, well, we just don't have the funds for for Johnny to buy anything for his name. We ask, go to the dollar store, man, and then let them wrap it up. Let them give it. See, that simple process of helping them, not just model, but walk with them, can turn Christmas around for your kids. We need to start teaching our kids, and we need maybe to retrain ourselves to think, hey, this Christmas thing's all about giving, not about getting. Another thing I want to talk about is giving of yourselves and serving others. Because that's a second thing you can do to make sure that you, you keep Christ in the center of your Christmas. Your time, your energy, your presence, your compassion. You can do it as an individual. You can do it as a couple. You can do it as a small group. You can do it as a, as a family. doesn't matter. How about baking cookies as a family and just taking a plate to your neighbors? Serving others. How about shoveling the snow off the driveway of the widow that lives down the street? My mom and dad were both in assisted living facilities, and I can't begin to express how much joy those residents <laughs> felt when someone would come and simply visit them. Oh, my dad loved it when John Newberry School, which was right next to River West where he was, when they would bring the kids over to sing Christmas carols. And then they would go to each resident and give them just one of those little candy canes. The joy that our girls' clubs have brought to rest homes throughout the years by just going and caroling, just visiting people there. And there's a lot of people in assisted living that don't have family. And if they have family, maybe they don't see them very often. The commitment that we can make to give not just monetary things, but give of ourselves. Just a few days ago, I was able to officiate at Colleen Sasser's brother-in-law's service, Ron Potter. Some of you know him, knew him. He's with the Lord now. For over 10 years, that brother went to Colonial Vista twice a week to sing just to be with those people. Think about that commitment. Twice a week for 10 years. I don't know how long our own Karen Sprague 
for years and years did very, very similar kind of ministry. Not just at Christmas, but throughout the year. I want to thank all of you for participating last month in our Serve Wenatchee food drive. <laughs> We've kind of been known now as the Chili Church. Uh, you know, I, they, they needed chili, and they said, could you bring chili? And we brought chili, and we asked them this past time, well, w- what can we bring this time? And they said, more chili. So WFA is the Chili Church. But I, I saw you bring in cases of chili, and in some instances, I know that that was a family effort. Always make those opportunities a teaching moment for your kids for your grandkids. Just don't go out and buy the chili yourself because that's the way that we teach our kids to give and that's the way that we keep Christ in Christmas when it comes to giving. Maybe you could prepare some kind of a care kit to give to the next homeless person you see. Maybe you could write cards to kids in orphanages. For years, we would sponsor kids through Latin America child care. This year, many of you, in fact, I think we had 98 shoeboxes come in for Operation Christmas Child. As I mentioned, Haley said, oh, my kids had so much fun shopping, knowing that that shoebox is going to go to a kid that wouldn't have a Christmas without us. That's what I'm talking about, teaching children, reminding ourselves. (laughs) I'm amazed every week at how we're able to provide food for kids at John Newberry School through packing friendships. And we have people who come in and bag the food up. We have people who come and take the food over to Newberry. We have people who shop. We have many, many people who give. It almost seems like every week, somebody in our congregation is giving to packing friendships. And that's great. That's exactly what I'm talking about. We've tried here at WFA to provide those kind of opportunities. You know, whether it was the the yard work that we did at at, uh, um, Lewis and Clark School, whether it's giving out cocoa downtown, mission trips, kits for kids to help uh, our foster care parents, you know, serving food at the lighthouse. Man, there's no end of the opportunity to give to others. And it doesn't have to be an organized church activity. I encourage you to do this as families or maybe just as an individual or as a couple, or just get some people together. It's a wonderful time of year to remind ourselves that we must keep Christ in the center, even of our giving. And finally, the the last thing I want to talk about is giving back to Christ himself. Because I think even though we make sure that whatever we give to family or friends, whether it's monetary or whether it's a, a... you know, gift of ourselves, it's all secondary for what we give to Jesus. We want to be like the Magi. We want to give him the first and and the best. And the Bible's really specific about how to do that. 
And we get a look at Matthew chapter 25 for a moment. Matthew 25, beginning with verse 37, it says, Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes or clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison or go to visit you? And the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. When we help the humble, the poor, the outcast, we're giving directly to Jesus. That's what he said. Jesus said, when we give to those in need, hungry, thirsty, homeless, those without proper clothes, those who are in spiritual need, who haven't heard the good news about Jesus, and we share Jesus with them, we're giving them spiritual food at that point. We've always tried to do that as a church, but I'm encouraged and I'm inspired, I guess, to make sure that we maybe ramp that up a notch. Last year, we did our best to deliver Christmas gifts to all of our seniors. Man, we had just come out of 2020. It was COVID. It was difficult. So we personally took Christmas gifts to many of our seniors. This year, we decided to bless all of our single parents. We're able to do that because of your ongoing benevolence giving. I'm not going to receive an offering this morning. You might think, oh, he's getting ready to take an offering. No, I'm really not. Thought about it, but I'm not going to. Because you've been so generous through the year. So we were able to bless all of our single parents this year. But by taking care of the widows, by taking care of those who are hungry, taking care of those that don't have the advantages of, of most, uh, the most of us do. The Bible says we're actually giving to Jesus. Verse 45, same chapter, Matthew 25. Here's what the scripture says. Truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. I love the fact that when Anchi First Assembly, from its very beginnings back in 1917, have always reached out beyond the walls of our building, given to the poor, the needy. Just a few years ago, some of you who are here were able to give a $5,000 gift to the lighthouse and then $5,000 gift to the hospitality hatch which is now called Wenatchee Rescue Mission. Because that's giving to Jesus. <laughs> We've developed ministry teams. Some of you helped years ago build a house in South Wenatchee through Habitat for Humanity. Many of you went on our Homes for Hope mission trips down to Mexico. I mentioned the Chili Drive. We've Sent a team in once the earthquake hit 
Haiti. And by the way, we just sent $1,500 to Convoy of Hope to help with disaster relief in Kentucky after they were devastated by those tornadoes. Why? Because you have learned <laughs> that we give to those who have need, we're actually giving to Christ. I want to read in 1 Timothy scripture that I ran across that um, kind of <laughs> helped me in formulating this message this morning. 1 Timothy chapter 6. That's right before 2 Timothy. 1 Timothy 6, verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present world. Paul's writing to Timothy, a young pastor, and he's giving him instructions on how to pastor a church. He says, command those who are rich. And you know, all of us are rich. All of us, if you look at the 7 billion people in the United States, if you realize the people who do not have running water, who do not have electricity, we are rich. And the Bible says that as your pastor, I'm to command you who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, not to put our hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope, our hope in God, who richly provides us everything for our enjoyment. And then command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds. I encourage, I guess I'm supposed to command you, but that's just not my personality. But I am going to encourage you. This week, this Christmas week, would you find Something good to do for somebody above what you normally would. Whether it's shoveling snow, whether it's going down to the lighthouse and helping, whether it's giving 50 extra dollars in the offering for Convoy of Hope, whatever it is. I think this is like a Christmas assignment for all of us. Is that we need to do something to keep Christ in the center of our giving. And the Bible's very clear that we need to be rich in good deeds. Everybody can do that, no matter what your income, and to be generous and willing to share. Because in this way, we will lay up treasures for ourselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. See, the cause of Christ has always included three main components. The cause of Christ, the poor, those in crisis or immediate need, specifically the Bible tells us widows and orphans and fellow Christians, and thirdly, the mission to tell people the good news about Jesus. That's the DNA of Christmas, friends. <laughs> Proverbs chapter 21 says, If a man shuts his ears to the cry of the poor, 
he too will cry out and not be answered. There's been times in the past that I have felt like God wasn't listening to me. Maybe God wasn't hearing me. And I've always tried to come back and think, well, Jerry, have you done your part? Because if I've shut my ears to the poor, whether it's the poor in spirit or the poor physically or, you know, maybe I'm hindering my own prayers. James 1.27 says, Pure and lasting religion in the sight of God our Father means that we must care for orphans and widows and their troubles. So keeping Christ in Christmas, in our celebrating, in our relating, and in our giving. Let's recap real quickly as we wrap this up. Let's make sure we know how to give gifts not just receive them, okay? It's bless, more blessed to give than receive. Let's pass that on to our children in very tangible ways, okay? Number two, let's make sure that we're serving others, not just giving material things, but serving them. And then let's make sure that we're serving Christ himself. That means the poor the orphans, the widows, those in crisis, those in Kentucky this morning who we're going to serve monetarily. But there might be someone in your neighborhood or in our community that you could actually serve, not just by giving money, but by serving. That's why the heart of Christmas is about the mission of Christ to make the announcement of Christ, the proclamation of Christ. It's not enough to say, God bless you, be warm and be well fed. First, we need to take care of those physical needs. Luke chapter 2, verse number 10. I bring you good news of great joy. There will be for all people today a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Let's keep Christ the center of Christmas in our giving. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the last three weeks that we've been able to look at some very practical ways of keeping you the center of this wonderful time of the year. Lord, we don't want to be in any way distracted by all the secondary things. Oh, we enjoy those things, and there's nothing wrong with them. But Lord, we want you to be the center of our celebrations, of our decorations, of our music. We want you to be the center of our relationships. Lord, for those that are like allergens to us, <laughs> to those, oh God, who we have to have boundaries with, we've learned about that. And today, Lord, we want you to be the center of our giving. And Saturday morning and Friday night on Christmas Eve, many of us will be exchanging gifts. And there's nothing wrong with that. But Lord, I pray that we will first and foremost give you the greatest gift of all, and that's our heart. That we'll bow the knee of our heart. And if you're here today and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, I encourage you to do that. 
Just ask him into your heart. Say, Lord, would you come here? Not just the Savior of the world, but would you be my Savior? And I pray that each of us, Lord, will find a way this week to do a good deed. You said that they'll know that we are Christians by our love for one another and by our good works. So may people see Jesus this week as we reach out and as we share the love of Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen.